This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined by Trek FM all-star Brandon Shea Matala. How's it going, Brandon? Just fine, Pink Skin. How you doing? Well, you know, maybe now I might be Pink Skin, but, you know, later, like in the summertime, it's, you know, it's it's red a, dark, a darker shade. Yeah, tan, red skin. Me, tan. I'm red. I'm like a lobster, man. I cannot tan at all. <laughs> I, I'm... I'm Native American, so you know, I I I, I get dark really quick. Yeah, when, in the summertime. But yeah, that actually brings up the, you know, if Shran keeps saying that, I just wish Anthony Montgomery, Travis, I wish he would have just like, dude, <laughs> come on, you know, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> right? <laughs> just drop that right on him. So, Boomers, for this episode, we're going to be diving back into the Season 3 retrospective with Part 4 of the series. And at this point, Season 3 is getting pretty intense. And we'll be discussing the episodes Proving Ground, Stratagem, Harbinger, and Doctor's Orders. And to help Brandon Shea and I dig into these episodes, we have a returning guest and a brand new guest to Warp 5. Returning to the NX-01, we have Heather Barker. Welcome back, Heather. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm super excited to talk about these episodes. They were pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a good point in the season for sure. And uh, we're, we're glad to have you back. You did a great job. It was nice having that fourth voice. And while we're sad that Patrick couldn't join us tonight because he ended up having to teach and we're actually, we couldn't do this episode later because the episode we're recording after this is actually the episode that aired last time because we're doing them out of order, but it's the, the Trek geeks stump the geek episode we're doing later and they were on a time commitment. Uh, but that gave us the wonderful opportunity to have a new voice to our show. And we've got with us Chrissy Zalagi. How's it going, Chrissy? Hi, it's going really well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. If you, for those that don't know and don't listen to maybe all the podcasts that the network does, kind of like I listen to all of them, uh, Chrissy was on two roundtables. She was on, uh, the first one she was on was the book related, uh, roundtable. 
And the last one she was on was the Encounter at Farpoint commentary that we released on the 28th. And uh, I liked listener. I thought she did some great stuff, so I wanted to invite her on the show. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome, Chrissy. Uh, I've been seeing your name in the Babel Conference for a long time, and you, you got your start on the roundtable, just like Brandon and I did. So that's really cool. That's wonderful that we have this opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the Babel Conference, uh, just a reminder of everyone, if you want to join in on the conversation for this episode or any other episodes or any other conversations that are going on in the Babel Conference, just go to our Facebook group, uh, go to the search field, type in B-A-B-E-L to the search field. You can find Babel Conference, join in, get an Arnold fun. And also, like we just mentioned about the roundtables, if you want to uh, get on a podcast, we actually have the Trek FM roundtable for patrons that support the network through patreon.com slash Trek FM. So if you'd like to hear, like hearing those things, just go on over there to that website, patreon.com slash Trek FM, and you can find out what level you want to support on, and you can actually get on the roundtable at the $15 support level. So thank you so much. Um, so... Before we get waist deep into season three, because I man, these are really deep episodes. Like things are really cooking here when we in on these these four episodes. I always like to ask new guests about their history with Star Trek and Enterprise. So, Chrissy, how did you become a fan of Star Trek? Uh, as I've said on the roundtables too, uh, Star Trek's just always been part of my life. I don't remember a time when there wasn't Star Trek on at in reruns in the house and I was five when next gen started. So, uh, you know, I grew up with it. Very good. And then what, when did you realize that you liked enterprise or how did you discover enterprise? I was eagerly awaiting enterprise right off the bat when it started. Um, but I was concerned that I wasn't going to be able to watch it at the time. Cause the way the cable system worked where I was, the UPN station, uh, was, often blocked out because it duplicated with one of the other UHF stations here. I don't know if anybody else had to deal with that in the, in the uh, well, I'm sure other people did, but um, so often it would be blocked out and, uh, and we wouldn't get to watch this stuff. And of course it's before streaming and everything. So uh, I was very excited when it actually did show up on my TV uh, when it was supposed to, when it, when it premiered. Yeah, and the the heartbreak of it was back in those days. I would set the VCR to record yes. at a certain time, and then I go to watch, and it's like football or baseball or wrestling or or something. I don't know. Yes. But I've actually had uh, since I've mentioned that a few times on here. I've had other people that were from Dallas, and they said they didn't have any problems finding it. I'm like, well, maybe it was just me. Huh. I was having a hard time operating that controller. I guess I don't know. User error. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I guess so. I don't know. I, I got lost. I couldn't find it sometimes. You so. know, Chrissy said something there that I wanted to say. Now, I don't remember if it happened with Star Trek. I don't think it did. But I know it definitely happened with the X-Files up in Canada where I live. And it we would have we would have Canadian shows in our cable package and we would have American shows in our cable package. And on the um, if you would go to the American station like Fox and the, sh- so the show was airing at the same time, the cable companies would interrupt the American feed and force the Canadian feed onto you so that you could see Canadian commercials while the commercials would come on. And it's like nobody watched the commercials anyways. And this always upset me because at the time, the Canadian channel Global never aired 
next time on the X-Files, right? Mm-hmm. And the American Channel did. So, you know, they would cut off the feed and then you would, you wouldn't get the next time on the show. And I'd be like, ah, I want, I want my 30 second clip of what's on next week. That's very interesting. I never, I never thought about that. How, like when I watch TV now, it's internet TV. So if there is a local commercial, there might be a, a screen that pops up that says commercial break. So it's kind of like an intermission. Yeah. You know, but I didn't, I never thought about like how, if the U S TV would cross over to Canadian TV, we don't get Canadian TV here in Texas. Yeah. Know, heaven so. forbid I see an ad for Dunkin' Donuts instead of Tim Hortons <laughs> or something like that. Hey, right. I'm in Michigan. We have the same problem with Tim Hortons commercials. This year. <laughs> Heather, do you have any problems where you're at? <laughs> no, not at all. You're in Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. So, Chrissy, uh, who would you say is your favorite Enterprise character? I have a really hard time picking favorites. Um, I well, remember that for the round table. I'm like, you choose now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, if you got to put me on the spot, um, I'm going to say to Paul. I, I want to say Porthos because that would be funny, but I'm going to say to Paul. <laughs> Porthos, he's, he's like a family favorite. You know, around here. I mean, he's he's the star right, of the well, show whenever he's on. But, you know, it depends on when, when I'm watching it. You know, my, I kind of change, like, which ones I'm looking at and, like, what I see out of them and things like that. So, but, yeah, it's kind of because I like them all. You know? Yeah. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Okay. So, let's go ahead and jump in to the retrospective here. So, starting off with Proving Ground and... The return of Shran. So, Heather, what did you think when you saw Shran's antennae pop up on the screen there? <laughs> I love any episode with Shran. He is just one of my favorites. Jeffrey Combs is one of my favorite Star Trek actors. Um, so I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And um, I, I really like this episode overall. I like that we had a female indoor excuse me, a female Andorian in the episode. And I liked how that relationship worked with Reed. Uh, so yeah, I was excited and, and happy for this one. It was a good episode. Very good. Very good. So Chrissy, are, are you a fan of Shran? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I was thinking about, uh, as I was, cause I was watching these the other day to, to prep for this. And I was thinking about how he's shifted. Um, cause I just finished, uh oh the last book and the name has escaped me the last enterprise book that just came out anyway oh, the, uh, so it's not literary yeah, the, tracks so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i and he's features in that so i was thinking about him and how wonderful his character is and, and the arc that he has patterns of interference yes patterns of interference thank you I just had to go and look at my shelf <laughs> so brandon i've got to say when i saw that pop up on the screen i was hoping that oh man i we've got some show art We've got some show art available now. You yes. know, it's Archer with the antennae. So what what do you think when you saw the the gladly uh, return of Shran here, Brandon? Every time I watch it, and this time included, I really think that it would be more effective if we didn't have the teaser with Shran. And our first meeting of Shran is that shot because it is such a great shot. It's cheesy, but it's awesome how those antenna just poke up right from the POV shot, like behind Archer's head. Actually, I agree. I agree. That would be better. You know, that that would have been the first thing we see. 
Yeah, you've already got this introduction. You've already been introduced to them, so you're not surprised that they're going to be in the episode, right? So that's the only real complaint I have at the beginning. And you know what? Everybody loves Shran, and I don't hate Shran. I like him just fine, but I don't know. Like, I like Brunt and Wayun much more than I like Shran. So, I mean, when I watch Shran, he's fine, but to me, Brunt is way better. I think Brunt is probably my favorite Jeffrey Coombs character, but I, like I love the makeup on him. My favorite part of the makeup is his teeth and how he's like clearly swished his mouth with some kind of blue food coloring or something because his teeth are all like blue and they're like darker in between where the gums are and stuff. Oh man, that's the, I think that's the best part of it. But well, I mean, Jeffrey Combs gets to just unleash, he just gets to go off the chart here with the just bombastic character that he is and you know you think back like Wayun, he kind like that character was more submissive you know and kind of sneaky this character like every time i think of him i think of him kicking a door open he kicks a door open he throws a shot back at something blue and you know i mean that's just how he rolls you know so we had uh with shran we got to see uh him representing the andorian mining consortium so that that actually that I was a, had no idea. <laughs> right, exactly. He even got to overact the overacting <laughs> as he was acting for the Zindi. So yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty great. He's very much channeling Brunt there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that was a recall from a previous series. Do Do any of you know? Ooh, I don't know the line. Oh, it's not ringing a bell for me. It may have been the, ooh, it may have been the animated series. I'm Is it? Go back and look for that. Okay, that'll be like a trivia question maybe later on, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> so, like, where was the first time the Andorian Mining Consortium was ever mentioned? There, there. Oh, it- I found it. I found it. Um, a potential reference to the non-canon video game Star Trek: The Twenty Fifth Anniversary. There you go. Okay. There you go. There you First go. First and only time the consortium was mentioned. So there's a deep cut. That's a deep. Well, cut that game's right there. now canon for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, it's a great game. You know, it's got all the original uh, series uh, actors' voices playing mm-hmm. like like an extra ser- episode. So yeah, it's a great game from way back in the day. So, um, Shran actually brings up a nice kind of a roast on Vulcans and to Paul there when he says, uh, your world is in jeopardy and where are your friends, the Vulcans, as he's walking around being a huge character as he is, uh, where is their mighty fleet? They couldn't even spare one officer. She was forced to abandon her career to remain on your ship. And then he gives the eye cut over to, to Paul, a remarkably selfless act for a Vulcan. So, Heather, did you ever, did that ever occur to you when you were watching this episode? Like it kind of, it never really occurred to me like during the season that that's what it, I mean, it, it was that obvious. What it, did it ever really occur to you that the Vulcans, not only did they not send anyone, the person that went, that was Vulcan had to quit. No, I, I never really thought of that um, until that moment. So I, yeah, it was, it was a little eye opening. Um but it, it, yeah, it, no, it never occurred to me. So Chrissy, what do you think about the Vulcans of Enterprise, especially like since Earth has been attacked 
and they didn't even send one ship to help. So what, what did you think about the Vulcans of Enterprise? I didn't expect them to help. You don't have the uh, the background there with the rest of the series to expect them to help. Right. Um, I I know people are really, that was one of the issues with the show, but I think it works. Um, the Vulcans are standoffish. We've seen them standoffish in other places. Okay. So why wouldn't they be less standoffish the less they know these people, the humans? That's true. That's true. And, and and if if we look at it like we've talked about this, and honestly, I think Star Trek Discovery is helping people see things differently, maybe, because it is so different. But when you're talking about the past for them on the timeline, that I mean, we're talking a hundred years. And we actually got to see one of the reasons why they were acting like they were acting when we get to season four. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had lost the teachings of Surak. And so it was, it's, I I honestly think that Star Trek discovery is going to help people kind of accept more of the differences of the aliens. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm seeing, I I think so. That's what I've been seeing so many people online talking about how now because of discovery, they're just, they're discovering enterprise and they're like, Oh man, it's not as bad. (laughs) You know, or it was never as bad as you thought it was. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And it's like, well, I just, I, and, or some people like, well, I only watched the first season. It was like, Oh, well, did you only watch the first season of TNG? Cause wow, you may not have finished, you know, or other others. Something that you're saying there, Floyd, like about discovery that makes me think of enterprise as well is, you know, the the writers of Discovery are out there and they're saying right now, look, you think it's non-canical and you think it's di- it's uh, disobeying continuity, but we'll get there. We have a plan. And they're telling the audience, we have a plan and we're going to get there. And I wasn't involved, so I never read any magazines or anything when Enterprise was out, but it's like the Vulcans got there. Yep. They took their time to tell the story of why the Vulcans were different and they got there. Now, I don't know exactly if they had that plan in mind the whole time or not. You know, 12 years later, the stories have changed and people are apologizing for things that I don't think they need to be apologizing for. Yep. Right. But, uh, that's what I think about when I hear this thing about, look, we'll tell you why the Klingons and why these things you think aren't fitting, why they fit. Just bear with us. Yeah. I think, too, going back to the the quote from Strand that pointing out um, it being a selfless act for T'Pol is a good character nod there because we learned throughout um, the series that T'Pol can be a little selfless. I mean, you know, in Twilight, she winds up taking care of Archer. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's not, not quite Vulcan, I think, but um, I think it really speaks to her character because I do think she's rather selfless at times. But yeah. the, the frustrating thing with that line is that, you know, yet we stop and we think about this at this time. But I mean, yes, it, it's not Earth. It's Earth that the Zindi are trying to attack, not Vulcan. But I mean, it's not like the Andorians are there to help either, right? So he's lying yeah. when he says that line, right? You know, so when you look back at it in hindsight, they're there to take the weapon. So I don't know. So that's something... Um, just thinking about it, watching the episode and thinking about it, is that really why Shran was there? Or was that an opportunity that he took when he heard that there was a weapon or that they, that when they come upon the testing site, did he, did he somehow contact his high counselor or whatever they were called? 
Or was that really why he was sent? It, it is vague. It's left vague. So it could be interpreted either way. And I guess I interpreted it that that's why he was there was to try and get intel on this weapon. So, I mean, but you, you know, you do bring up a good point in that they never really specifically say at one point, did they decide to take this weapon? Oh, hey there, Andorian High Command. Look what I just found. I found out this weapon. You want me to try and snag it? Like that could have been how it went. Right. So Chrissy, I always thought that he was there to steal the weapon, but the last couple of times that I've seen it, it kind of seemed like it was an opportunity that he just took it. So how did it, how did it ever come across for you? Uh, it didn't even occur to me that it was anything other than he was sent to go get the weapon until you guys just brought that up. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that he would even be there unless he was really there to help, like actually, honestly, genuinely there to help. And then he was like, okay, well, I'm going to help, but I'm also going to rob you, you know? But if you go back and watch the episode, Boomers, think about it like this. What if he really was just there to help and then he just saw an opportunity and took it? He did the Shran thing. You know, he grabbed it, he punched him and he ran. You know? Or maybe because we like him so much that he was there to help under orders, but while he was there providing an update, then his boss ordered him to take the weapon. That's the way I've seen it the last couple of times. And I might just be, you know, I might have my, my blue colored glasses on when I'm thinking of Shran here, you know. Well, I always assumed, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, because I haven't done a whole rewatch in a long time, but um, isn't he the one that sends the information at the end? Or isn't that you're well, it's, it's, led to believe that? Yeah, it's yeah. hinted that way. Okay. You know, we don't ever say it, but you can tell by Archer's reassuring grin at the end, I guess, that it was sent on, it was sent as like uh, static. So no one on the ship would know that someone sent that to him. So it's like, hmm, I wonder who else would have sent that to him, you know? Maybe Por- maybe Porth- maybe Porthos made a friend. You know? See, in that scene, <laughs> I interpreted it that they were sending the data back to Andoria as a hidden message, and Archer and the Enterprise crew intercepted it and determined that it wasn't just static. See, that's how I interpreted that last scene. Not that he was pretending to send static to Enterprise and, and it was really a file. I interpreted that they stole the information from the Andorian signal going back to and- Andoria. Okay, well, that gives Hoshi, like, big cred. Like, her yeah. hacker her hacker skills get some cr- big cred right there. Then that I'll gives, give credit to Hoshi. Yeah, Definitely. there you go. Credit, <laughs> Hoshi needs credit because she never gets promoted, you know? So, there you go. Um, how about Trip's interactions with Shran? Like, when Shran and Trip are actually walking, uh, he, they do, like, a walk through, and Shran talks to him about his sister... And I actually, I really enjoyed seeing them talk to each other there. Um, so, Heather, what did you, what do you think about uh, Trip and Shran's little conversation? Yeah, I think it's nice. And uh, the thing with Shran, when we have these moments, that's why he's likable to me. Because in those moments, I kind of feel like, oh, okay, he's not that bad. Um, but it's nice because you you don't really get to see a lot between the two of them. Um, so I thought I thought it was a nice moment. And, and also, uh, speaking of Trip, the look on his face when Talus and Reed are going at it in the me- in the mess hall at the beginning that was it was like he was sitting there eating popcorn. I don't know what he was eating, but it was almost like he was just sitting there eating popcorn with his eyes going back and forth. That, that potato was, chips. He had potato chips. Oh, that's right. He had a sandwich and potato. <laughs> 
He did. That is so true. That is so true. That is right. So, Chrissy, are you a fan of Trip Tucker? Oh, yes. Yes. So, so uh, what did what did you think when you saw his interaction with Shran? Or... I- just just their their bonding it seemed like they bonded i don't know yeah they they don't i've been trying to think of another time that they have that kind of a direct interaction and i can't think of one um yeah i uh i thought it was good i thought it was there was a moment where you almost feel like shran is trying to use uh his knowledge of of trip's sister's death to try to get something out of him yeah but at the same time then he you know he tells a story about his brother and you're like okay no he's actually maybe trying to connect with him on some level true and shran may have already got the inside that he may have some section 31 ties later so maybe he was milking him for uh you know <laughs> No, that's just a spoiler, spoilers, way, <laughs> way, way, way in the, you know, he may, Tripper may or may not have some information later that Shran wants. So he maybe have been trying to win him over earlier or something. I don't know. Uh, we also had a callback to the tainted chemocyte from the episode, The Shipment. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice, a nice callback for the continuity for the season. And I can't, he, I can't remember if he actually said the Zindi's name. And then I couldn't find the Zindi's name. So I couldn't, I can't even remember if he did or not, but um, he, he did. I can't remember it off the top of my head as he well. Did but mention, he did he didn't mention his name, right? Okay. Yeah. And okay. Now, since we're jumping onto this topic here of the proving ground itself. Okay. So I like this episode a lot, mm-hmm. but this frustrates me, this episode, because why did they need to do this? Was not Florida the proving ground? Why did they go to Florida? That's a better question. But you know, yeah, uh, which I would agree with. Why did they go to Florida and give the heads up? However, that's already been established in continuity at the end of season two. So right. why do they need to run this test if they've already run a test on Florida? Um, hmm. Degra had he just wanted to play with his toys, you know, which I gotta say is kind of cool. I mean, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be designing space weapons, it's kind of you know, like, where are you going to practice using them or test them? You know, so I thought that was kind of cool, actually, the CGI on that showing like the moons and, you know, that this this is a firing range, basically, where they ended up being. I don't know. I honestly, I would I could see them doing this more than they could the Florida thing. You know, well, but I why totally do, agree. But why I totally do they agree. have to do, why do, they have to do both? I see what you're saying. Maybe. Well, the Florida thing was actually a failure. They actually saw that as a failure. There was something what? about it like that the output wasn't strong enough and there was something about it that it fell apart or something. It it, it was a failure. The reptiles considered it a failure, the test of failure. Yeah, yeah. I got the hmm. impression that they were going for intensity there and trying to destroy the entire planet right. from what they were doing. Okay. I can accept that, yeah. And remember, the the reptiles thought it was a failure because they were wanting to go the biological route after that. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, what do you think? Uh, I'm just wondering was it, it was it supposed to be the exact same weapon, or was it like a step up, and so therefore it needed more testing? At least that's how I read well, it. I did get the impression that this is bigger. It's not as big as the final one, yeah. But I do get the impression that it was bigger than the first one. I assumed that it was refined and it was just bigger and stronger and. Like everything about it. So instead of sending it to, you know, Canada, you know, or somewhere else, you know, they sent it to 
a moon, which that would have probably been a better idea the first time around. But you know, that's well, if they would have tried to attack Canada, like they could have like shot half the country up and not hit a person. I mean, like we're pretty <laughs> barren up here, you know. Right. That's not even an exaggeration. Right, like we're like, right, yeah. As long as they've got like ten percent of the population of the USA, right? Like, and they stay off the border. You know, you <laughs> could you could be okay there, right? Um, so proving ground, I I liked it where it came in just because of what's going on. I mean, the Zindi are still working on this thing. They have some established that they have a history of designing weapons at this place. And um, I just, I like that Shran came back. <laughs> one. I just, I just like that Shran came back because we hadn't seen him in a while. It's like, how are we going to get to see Shran? Cause we're way over here in this place. Oh, there he is. You know? Well, so, but this also is the episode that we really first get a first glimpse of Degra. Like, we've had him a little bit, but this is really, you know, the first one where we get a lot of him. And then, obviously, with the next episode as well. But, you know, so we really don't – we really get to spend a little bit of time with him in this episode and then more in the next, right? Right. So, Randy yeah, on, on, on the next episode, we had a surprise opening. On Stratagem, we see Degra and Archer escaping insectoids. So, Chrissy, the first time that you saw this – what did you think? Did it trick you? Did it, what, what were you thinking was going on with this? I thought that they had maybe jumped ahead and then we're going to tell the story in a flashback form and that we were going to get some kind of, uh, the war's over and everything's, uh, gone terribly. And, and then here's how we're going to fix it. Maybe with some time travel or something. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I was tr- I was fooled. I was mm-hmm. fooled. And, and when I actually see this episode open, even now I'm like, Oh, goody. You know, like I remember getting fooled by this. So Heather, were you tricked or were you kind (laughs) of, I, uh, this is my favorite of the four episodes and it had been so long. It's been at least two years since I've watched it. So, I mean, the whole time I was just like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. Um, I loved it. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I'm like, okay, well this isn't, there's something going on here. Um, but I also thought that it might be a flashback type of thing. Uh, so all the little twists and turns in this episode are just the best. <laughs> I love it. Yep. So Brandon, did you like the twists and the turns and the, the, I, I have like here, like a double bluff blind or a double blind bluff. I'm not even sure if that is something. So how did, what did you think about it, Brandon? I like it a lot. And I do remember that when I first saw it, I'm like, okay, because they've already had twilight this season, mm-hmm. you know, which is like a, a non-continuity. They had the impulse. Right, which is like at the beginning is out of continuity, and this one ends up being a little bit out of continuity as well because they do the three days earlier thing, which I'm not a fan of. They could have done it just in dialogue rather than showing, but um, I do like the opening because it is. It's like what is going on, and it's it's a third of the episode before you find out that it's you know. So they go a long time before they pull back the the cloak and show you what's going on here, which I really do like. So yeah, uh, I don't know if this is my favorite. It's probably tied for my favorite of the, of the four, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's tough. Like I, I do really like this episode a lot and I, I like the interaction between Degra and Archer. I was fooled. And I've got to say, I breathe a moment of re- like a breath of relief, like just relief that this wasn't how the season was going to go, you know, or that, that this is what happened. You know, like when he, when they, uh, I guess Archer hits him with a hypospray and then he asks for the door and they open the door. I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You know, 
Thank you so much because this show just got so much better. You know, or this episode just got so much better, right? Because I was like, oh my gosh, how are they going to play this out if this is really how it went? You know, and I'm, I'm just watching as I'm watching it. I'm not, I was, I was totally tricked, you know, and, and now even watching on a rewatch, it's still fun because now you're watching to see if there's any other hints that, you know, that could give it away or is there anything else that could give it away? I'm watching for the windows when I'm watching this just to see, you know. Well, I'm going to jump ahead because not only did they, they trick you twice in this episode oh, and they do yes. it good. Oh, yes. The ending is an awesome trick as well. Like, I'm still fooled by that ending. You know, like, I don't know. It's like really, I don't, I love it. I love it. It's, I think it's really good. It definitely got me on my first couple of watches, both tricks. So, uh, I like that a lot. So that what the ending is, is when they reveal, they're trying to say that they're using this inner phasic whatever transport not with mushrooms and uh <laughs> and then they they fail and saying that they're coming out there at the red giant at azadi prime and then that's when dagger's like ah no you'll never you'll never do it he's like thank you that's what we needed to know it's so great <laughs> yes i that's why that's when i said it's like a double blind bluff here because even after it's been revealed that we're this isn't a bluff. It is. It still is going on. So, Chrissy, how'd you how'd you feel when they revealed that they actually were still where they were the whole time? Oh, I was surprised. Like you said, I, I was I was tricked by it too. And you go, he goes to open the door, and you have that moment of, wait, don't open the door. What are you going to do? Let you know, blow everything out, uh, and then boom, there you are in the in the uh i guess it was in the shuttle bay maybe yeah they yeah. didn't really say or, or maybe a cargo bay or something yeah. like that right yeah so how did you feel when the the screen changed at the end and they're actually not at the red giant that was good yeah, yeah that was good that actually tricked me more than the first one i think yeah what, what about you the well the the last time when i was watching it i had to go back and and watch it again because i got momentarily distracted by my cat and i went wait <laughs> what happened <laughs> So rewind. Okay, yeah. Oh, so it, it didn't hit you as, as good there. No. So Heather, you like you like the 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 trickiness even in even after we thought the trick was over. Yes, that is good Star Trek. <laughs> it's very entertaining. I just I wasn't like I said I had I'd really forgotten this episode and what all happened. So it got me both times, and it was just one of those where you're just like yeah, you know, you do the fist in the air like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it. It's like Archer turns to Degra, burn. And, uh, <laughs> we, we got you. We got you. Sick burn. So I've actually seen that before in other series and movies and things before, like when they're acting it out and they, after they think that they're caught, like they actually get caught on purpose in order to get it going here. So one of the, one of the, the one that stands out to me the most when I think of this kind of uh, a strategy is the sting from 1973 with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. So it's like that whole movie and everything that they've got going on is all a con and it's a con even when it doesn't look like it's a con and it, it's even when they get caught, it looks like it, they're every, the jig is up. It's still a con. Sorry for spoilers on a 1973 movie, but you know, it's, it's all still a con, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Brandon, have you seen The Sting? I haven't. Thanks for ruining it for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So, well, do you like Jaws? I love Jaws. Okay. So, the the skipper, the ship skipper on Jaws 
is Shaw. Yes, he is a big bad guy in the Sting. You definitely need to watch that. It's a young Robert Redford, a young Paul Newman, but not as young as Robert Redford. And Shaw is the big baddie. So I know the song. Oh yeah, here we go. Now now we're not gonna get the song out of her head. And this just turned into the Sting podcast, right? And not not the kind that you think it is. All right. So uh, coincidentally, that this actually was similar to also to a 1967 episode of Mission Impossible titled The Train. So I have not seen that. So any boomers out there that you watch some old Mission Impossible there, uh, maybe you can comment on the show post for this. I can imagine how it goes if it's similar to that. I can imagine how it goes. But I actually saw that online that uh, it looked like this may have t- been taken from a 67 episode of Mission Impossible. So let's go to Harbinger now. Oh, oh we, we've got something on stratagem. Yeah. One of the great things about this episode is we start to get some character development for Degra, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we get to see his regret, you know, like when he, he says that when he saw that test result from Florida, he's like, what did I do? You know, and who was the guy? I'm, I'm bad with history. Was it Oppenheimer? Or yes. something yes. that, you know, he's like, I'm become death or right. whatever. The, I'm, I'm totally butchering the quote here. Now right? I am so, become death, the destroyer of worlds. Zalagi the savior, I thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like he, he did what he did because he was ordered to do it and because they were told that the humans were bad. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he they retaliated, he's like, what have I done? How many children were there? And I love that, you know, like as, as a father myself, that really hits home to me, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't imagine harming children, you know, and like the things that people do. And he did it because he was ordered to do it. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I'm going to tell a story of something that happened here and it just bothers me about humanity. I'm kind of going on a tangent, but at a park here, in the city, in Regina, somebody had stuck razor blades in a slide on a kid's park. You know, and I like, I, what kind of sick individual would do something like that? You know, like, especially to children, like, forget that, like, anybody to do any, that to anybody, but especially to children, like, why would you do something like, like, fortunately, they found it before anybody got hurt. But, like, for somebody to conceive of something like that, Right. You know, like I, I, that's a real tangent that has nothing to do with the episode. And I don't know right. why I needed to talk about that, but right. this was like two years ago, but still like, so with, when he's reacting the way that he's reacting, he's like, and he mentions that how many children were there, you know, I don't know, just really hit close to home and made me think of things like that. So. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, Dagger is a father first. Mm-hmm. He establishes himself as a father first. And then he's also this really smart weapons designer, Yeah, you know, but yeah, that, uh, we find out like even farther in this really sets Dagger going down a path uh, later in the season when we, you know, the, when he's basically, he's looking for a reason not to do this. Yeah. And especially when we get into the sphere builders and yeah, like their influence on it. So yeah. Um, I would say, I would say that Dagra definitely show starts here when he thinks that all is lost that he is established himself as a father. Yeah. So, you know, just thinking of, you know, they're a completely different species in a completely different part of the galaxy, not just on our own planet, but, um, and it, he still is, you know, he has morals 
he's showing that he has morals there. Even though he, he did what he was ordered to do, he still regrets it deeply. I think that's kind of a nice Star Trek note that, you know, we, we don't always know uh, the details of each other's lives. And when we're at war, like we're all still human. Uh, so. I, well, no one's, no one's the villain in their own story. Everyone's always the hero of their own story. I mean, that's the, the good bad guy is not always bad. If you look at it from their point of view, you know, or, or whatever they're doing. So, I mean, he was actually designed the weapon because he was told that earth was going to destroy his home world, which would be killing his children. So he's protecting his children. You know, I mean, a lot of people would maybe do that. I don't know. But yeah, thank you for that, Brandon, because mm-hmm. I totally uh, actually, I kind of missed that a little well, bit. But what's also great about that is like, so a little bit of spoilers for later on in the season is that, you know, like at the end of this episode, like they wipe his mind, right? They wipe, they wipe his memories of the event and they, you know, wipe the logs on the ship and yet they come back to it again and they find common ground with Degra again. Again, and so like that's what I like about his character. Like we get to a point again where where Degra is our ally. He's not our ally in this episode, but we see that humanity of him. And later on, he becomes this you know this unwilling ally, and they who ends up helping Archer and the Enterprise crew. And that's what I like about Degra. Very good. Yeah, I mean it could be a little bit of a cheat though, since they actually know like what if we're playing cards, they already know what all what's in his hand and he doesn't have any clue because he lost his memory, you know? So it's kind of easy to, Hey, I know your, my favorite color is blue. What's your favorite color? You know, and his, Oh, mine's blue too. Hey, let's be friends, you know? But, um, that does actually thinking about it for the long con for them to build an ally, someone that's going to help them in the Zindi. You got to think that that intelligence that they gathered there is going to help them. Right. You know, to win him over or win over an ally there. So that's totally twisting that a little bit. Um, going on to the next episode, Harbinger. So we have the introduction of Corporal Amanda Cole. So, man, again, totally tricking me on the opening here. So, yes. Heather. Who, even this time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Again, even again, I got tricked. So, Heather, please tell me. You know, whose foot did you think that was? Yeah, you know? I totally thought it was Paul's foot. Uh, I think <laughs> we all did, and I was kind of you know gave gave Cole the side eye when I when it was revealed who it was, and then I was like, okay, Trip, what's going on here? Uh, but you know, he gets his due in this episode, I guess. So <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah. So Chrissy, uh, you were sitting there nodding. Uh, knowingly there so yeah what did what did you think about corporal cole as a character on her own she's fine you do kind of get the feeling that she's just stuck in there to provide impetus for the trip to paul relationship though yes yeah because we hadn't seen her before yeah and we didn't see her after yeah and that ship's not that big man unless she that's just- the frustrating thing about that especially you know like we see Hayes a few times in the season right right and so that animosity between reed and him builds mm-hmm. but this the cole just comes out of nowhere we've like she's not even been in the background you know so it, it's it's a frustrating storytelling trope that they've used mm-hmm. 
And it, it does, it does work kind of in the episode, but I just wish we would have seen this character a few times before this, you know, just standing in the background holding like a clipboard or something, right? You know, or, or something, <laughs> you know, we, we just need George Lucas to come in here and CGI her in a couple of times and, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Hey, actually, I mean, thinking about it, that wouldn't happen now. You are going to see characters in the background nowadays. Like, you know, talk about the walking dead, like that's a long drawn out. And then that's what discovery is trying is doing also like the modern storytelling where you hear about a character, you, you, or they just make a comment or they just walk by or something. That's kind of how it goes. And then later all of a sudden, boom, they're in the story and then they might still be there. This was kind of one of those like episodic type castings where enterprise they kind of had their foot in the 21st century with the the longer storytelling and the arcs but then they had the back in the 80s store you know kind of where they're it's oh it's a bottle character and no one's ever going to notice you know kind of like like spock's dad was also a vulcan or a romulan you know or something like that so i don't i actually had on warp 580 that was my second ever time ever on warp five i had a what if if cole actually came back for season five what my ret my retcon was for her um i had on here that she would like that she was actually an agent for something like an undercover agent for something because you'd have to think that on this ship this being the first earth ship that's going out and it just the earth just got attacked that everybody would want somebody on that ship you know, like section 31 or, uh, the, uh, the Terra prime Terra prime yeah. group or somebody like that would want someone on there. So that was, that was my retconning way of like, if we got to season season five, that we would find out that she actually had been an undercover agent or something that was trying to uh, gain the trust of the officers and essential personnel on the ship or something or gain intelligence. So, that was my way of trying to make something out of the character that we didn't actually get to see, you know, but that was just, that was just me going there. Um, so Heather, <laughs> what did you think about the conflict? Like the actual conflict that we had on Reed and Hayes? It kind of loses me, honestly. <laughs> like this is probably my least favorite of the four episodes. And I, during that conflict, this episode is a good example of Enterprise being written for men, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I zoned out a lot there, to be quite honest, because it was, you know. Yeah, I can see why someone would see this and they would do the bro thing. You know, it it did. I don't know why you think it's written for men, but I loved it when they were like, bam, bam. That was awesome. And the, and the words actually flashed up on the screen that said, wham, boom and things like that. Right. Yeah. That was really great. You know? So, uh, Chrissy did, did you ever expect to ever see something like that ever happen on enterprise or on star Trek at all? Like the actual, I mean, we saw Kirk fight people, but these were supposed to be allies fighting like this so what did what did you think about that when you actually saw allies fighting well gene roddenberry would not have been happy would he have been (laughs) about this and many other things but that's okay um (laughs) uh, yeah i i 
it was leading up to it during this episode, certainly. If you had if you had asked prior to that, I'd have been like, oh, they'll find some way to work out their differences. But once they have the, the they're doing the training sessions, you're like, eh, at some point, they're going to be fighting each other, whether it's in front of the group as a training session or just uh, not as it was uh, in front of the poor guy in the hallway <laughs> runs into them. Um, as you were, Ed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as I was leaving. Yeah. Uh, so no, I didn't. I didn't really expect it, but it does fall into that old trope, like Heather says. You know, where you have two men who have a conflict, and the only way they're going to deal with it is to beat each other blo- bloody, and then they're friends. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's like a night at night at the bar or something here. Yeah. And and this is maybe maybe it was just me off on a tangent. Forgive, but um, given what happens with Trip and Paul at the end of the episode. You almost get the feeling because there is that animosity and they're not happy with each other. And then, you know, they're taking off clothes. And then you, you kind of think about, well, is, is that what's going on with Reed and, uh, and Hayes too? And then you think about the fact that Reed was supposed to be a gay character, right? right. And it was the actor that kind of put the end to that. So then you're wondering if the writers are thinking about that as they're putting that in. And maybe I am just reading way too much into this, but that occurred to me this last time I watched it. See, for me with this, this is one of the seeds that was planted back in episode one of the season, this animosity between mm-hmm. these two characters. You know, so this is something that has actually built over, what are we at now? 19 episodes, I think we're at, or is this 17 episodes? Somewhere anyways. Like, for it to finally come to a head at this point in the season, for me, that's a good payoff. And while I myself have never, you know, had a, you know an antagonistic relationship with somebody where we've ended up fighting and become buddies afterwards. I don't know if that is actually something that happens in life. I don't know, or if that's just just something that happens in like you know Star Trek and sitcoms. But uh, I, I don't know. But I I did like it, and the the payoff in the scene when they're getting chewed out by yes. Archer. You know, it's one of those things where it's like okay. With the trope of it in television, we know that the fight makes it settled. Because that's just what happens in TV. So with Archer chewing them out and he's describing there's injuries and he's like to read, he's like, you have a detached retina. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) You have a bruised kidney. You know, like, like they are, read his face. Like he has just been pummeled into ground beef, you know, and they're just like, no, sir, no trouble. We're good. And then when he leaves, he's like, are we dismissed? I don't know. Like it's such a wonderful payoff to it at the end. I well, don't know. I, I I don't mind it. Maybe it's because I'm a man. I guess I don't know. Well, no, I I didn't really like. I didn't like how petty Reed seemed. You know, I mean, oh, he was yes. he was already in position of power. He was in position. I of know power. people like that though. I work with somebody like this. Uh, I was thinking about my relationship with somebody. I'm like, so is this all I need to do? Is just have a fight? No, I guess not. Right. But um, where it's like you get down to this pettiness right and i'm kind of like i'm 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 i'll admit it i'm kind of in this relationship with somebody you know fortunately we don't work that closely together but but uh where there's this animosity and it's just it's like one upping the animosity against each other every time we interact you know so i don't know oh my goodness I- you know read in the in the previous well in in proving gra- proving grounds with talus like there was some animosity there, but oh, he came to his senses and apologized and offered to get her coffee, and then it was fine. But with a man, he has to go back and forth and then duke it out to find resolution. 
Okay, so the, what I see there is that he's he's attracted to her as well. So this is what I get out of it. So maybe I'm wrong, but what I see is he's attracted to the Andorian woman. Talus, you said is her name, mm-hmm. right? And sh- she's giving him an attitude of like a strong, I'm, I, I know what I'm doing and whatnot, and he doesn't like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with what she's saying myself, but with how uncomfortable a character Reed is, he doesn't like that. And so when she gives him that final thing about, like, you better watch what you're doing because you didn't do that right, he's like, you know what, She maybe at that point he finally realizes she's trying to help him. But I, I sense an underlying sexual attraction between him and the Andorian. And so, and I know that at some point they had decided that they had wanted to make Reed gay, and... um the actor, I'm bad with my names, uh, decided that he didn't want to do that. He was, he was the one who was kibosh it. I never would have caught a sexual tension between Reed and Hayes at all. I don't know. Right. right. But so that's what I see as the differences. One is simply a work conflict because Reed is insecure in his position. Yeah. And the other one boils down to insecure in his position as well, but there's also the sexual attraction, which makes it worse for him. I was just disappointed in Reed, though, because we were saying he is insecure. He is ultimately insecure. And oh, he's totally an insecure character. And I, it just disappointed me, you know, because I wanted to like him a lot more. And it, he just, he dropped down a little bit there, you know. So, Chrissy, what, what did, how, how did that, did that change your view of Reed, you know, like this season and these, these events? You know, going back to the first time I saw it, I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, he certainly does come off like a uh, a preteen pulling some girl's ponytail that he likes, and mm-hmm. that doesn't look good on anyone. Right, especially a grown man there, and then and he actually looks like a, a teenager or a preteen with the fight. You know, yes. And, I mean, and then Archer looks like the principal with them in the office at the end. Yes. You know, I mean. <laughs> And on, but honestly, I've got to say, if we had to have it happen, it was worth it to see Archer chew them out at the end because I really enjoyed that <laughs> chewing out. Like I like to rewind that, you know, just to see that. Like, give it to him. There you go. There you go. Nope. You need to say it like this. Let me let me help you here. You know, Chrissy. Let me ask this. So, would you and Heather would you rather that he duked it out? With the Andorian and then and bought a coffee for Hayes. No, I would rather he take the maturity that he had with Talis and apply that to his relationship with Hayes. I don't think that mm-hmm. sexual attraction should play um, when you are an officer on a starship working with other people. I agree. And I don't, I don't like the line. Like it doesn't fit with his quick turnaround with the way that Reed is. Oh, let me go get us both a coffee and we'll figure this out together. That doesn't fit for his character. Dude, at we only all. have 42 minutes this episode. He's got to get a right. turn around. <laughs> He's got to turn around at some point. It's, it's a limitation of the writing, but I don't, I don't like that line and I don't buy that line, you know, so, I, I agree. but I think. I think the point of the line, again, it's a, it's a, I think it's a negative drawback of the writing is we have to show Reed now liking this person. And then so that later on when she's doing shady stuff around the equipment, he, we think that he's not going to catch it because he likes her now, but then, oh, he did catch it because he's so good at his job. 
right? So right. I don't know. So it just I, doesn't I can work tell you for me. What I would, you asked them what they thought about it. I'm <laughs> telling you, I would have loved to. Have, I would have loved to have seen Reed get his butt kicked by the Andorian female because she would have wiped him <laughs> yes. down, up and down. Hayes wouldn't have put anything. He Hayes would have had to have like held her coffee while she whooped Reed. Okay. They don't know what they're getting into when they go up against a Andorian female. Shran is scared of her. Okay. We actually know, we know later as big and bombastic as Shran is, he's scared of her, you know, and, and Andorian females are dominant. Like they mm-hmm. are, it would have been great. It would have been awesome to have seen that totally flipped around and switched the other way. I, that's what I think. Reed's getting his butt kicked no matter what here. You know? Okay. What's, what's, what's the actor's name? Reed, Reed. I'm drawing uh, a blank. Dominic, Dominic Keating. Yes. Thank you. Um, Dominic Keating, I do think, is a good actor, especially in the scene when they start fighting, because that snide look that he gives him where he's like, ah, he's like, he's got his fingers weird and he's like, I'm going to wipe the floor with you, Hayes. And then that's not really how it goes. But just that twisted little smile he gives, I don't know, I like it. It it makes me not like his character, (laughs) right? Especially when that's going, because he is being so petty at this point, right? Right. But, you know, Hayes is as well, right? But I think Reed is definitely more. True. (laughs) I always came came at it like Hayes was just going to protect himself on it, you know? And Reed could have just went with the flow and Hayes would have did whatever he told him to do, you know? But that's Mm -hmm. that's just me. Um, We can't skip out of this episode without talking about the Sphere Builders. This is the first appearance of the Sphere Builders. So... Heather, what did you think about it when we found out that they're uh, basically turning space into jelly that they can live in here? Yeah, no thanks. Um, but uh, intrigued. I mean, I wasn't expecting that to happen. And um, there was a there was a comment that was made with Archer. Um, I found the whole interaction there really interesting because he basically was pushing those ethical lines, um, you know, keeping him conscious while he was in pain. Well, he actually said that we may have to, we may have to stretch your ethics or something like that to, to uh, flocks. Yeah. He said, until I get the answers I need, we're going to need to bend a few ethics. So I think again, there we see that dark archer that we talked about the last time I was here. Uh, I've paid special attention to that this time around. So it, it it's raised building. It's definitely building, especially into the next four. You know, like what we get out of the next four, but yeah, it's building for sure. The the collar has been, or the top button is unbuttoned. You know, you're in trouble. Archer's <laughs> Archer's looking to be mean here. So Chrissy, the seeing we didn't actually know this was a Sphere Builders yet. So, uh, but I mean, that's what it ended up being later on. So, what what do you think about the, this being like the introduction of just some out of the blue strategy or something that was going on? Well, I I guess this kind of gets to what we were uh, talking about earlier with the more modern storytelling where you have something seeded and -hmm. it doesn't pay off for three, four or five episodes. So this guy's seeded uh, the idea and then we'll find out more later. And then we actually get to see them. We we get to see him come apart, Mm -hmm. you know, but then then we get to see them. And yeah. And then just the the description of the pod that he was in and then, and then trying to think of what character would put himself in this pod. Uh, did, did we, did they determine that he was, he was a test subject, but was he a criminal or was he like a volunteer? Did, did you, any of you catch that? Or do you know? 
he said that, but I don't think that's actually what it was. I think he was like the the first, like he was the test subject to get sent out. I don't believe that he really was a criminal or anything like that at the end. He said that because, he was? Okay. Yeah, but I don't believe him. Right. Right, that he he said that. I think that he, because he knew more and the way that he was saying at the end when he was disappearing and he's like, you know, I, I can't remember his words exactly, but he's like yelling at Archer and Archer's like, ah, you know, and he's like, oh, you'll never, you'll never catch me, Gadget. Right, <laughs> right? exactly. Like, <laughs> Very good. So did, did you have any other thoughts about Harbinger? Any of you have? I like this episode a lot and I, I like the idea of the sphere builders. I just don't like how the sphere builders pay off in the season. You know, like they just, they, I understand that they end up kind of being the final key to this whole thing, but I think it might just be one thing too much for the plot of the season myself with the sphere builders. And I know that they laid the groundwork way back at the beginning where they felt that the expanse was created, right? Like they, they think that the expanse was actually a zone created. And we, that was way back at the beginning of the season. I just, this is not how I would have wanted it to pay off. And I'm not, really satisfied with how it ends up being paid off true because it's spoilers for the next two times that we do this here, <laughs> right. but, you yes. know so chrissy what did you think oh i was just gonna say we see proto phaser dots here so oh yeah that's right with the the training that you're talking about yeah yeah they got the, the phaser thing where and those were holograms they said holograms is that right Ooh, or were, i don't was remember it, I want to say that that was those were actually holograms. Isn't that what they used in Star Wars when when uh, Luke was starting? Luke had a shield. Yeah, his blast he had, shield had a shield on his helmet. How can I see right? anything with the blast shield? That's kind of what those were on. <laughs> was that a hologram? I don't remember if, no, if it was a hologram was or a little hologram. robot. It was, it was just a robot. Yeah. I think these were holograms, though. So, boomers, you can I'm let us sure. know in the Babel conference. You know, and let, let us know what what. It, what you uh what did you think about seeing the test subject here? And was the test subject actually a volunteer or was it just someone that was sent in there because the sphere builders are really mean and they would do something like that? You know? I have one more question for this episode for the three of you. Okay. So I I like Worf and Dax, and the only real relationship that I ship is Trip and Paul. But I got to ask you guys, so with what you said with Cole coming in, and Heather, you especially, you're like, you give Cole the side eye and stuff. How much of a T'Pol trip shipper were you before this episode? And then how much are you because of this episode? <laughs> because she's clearly in there to put a wedge between those two. Yeah, I've always been a trip and T'Pol shipper. I love their relationship. And... I have my qualms about how this episode was handled. I don't think we needed Cole at all. Um, we already had uh, Tripp's confession via um, Sim, right? And similitude. So T'Pol was already aware of that. And I didn't really need to see her naked butt. But, uh, but I liked it. I liked seeing them together. And then I was kind of like, oh, darn it, T'Pol. <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, I was okay with it, I guess. So I, I'm a fan of them, and I'll leave it at that. Chrissy? Uh, yeah, I I don't remember when I started thinking, oh, they would work well together, but by this point, for sure. Um, and then, you know, of course, rewatching it, you always have that, that uh, uh, hindsight of knowing what happens with them later and at the end of the series and and. You know, no spoilers for people who have probably already seen it. But uh, uh, 
yeah, I, th- I thought they worked well together. Um, I thought it was interesting. It always bothered me that it made it so that Sarek and Amanda were not as special. Because you always okay. get the impression that Sarek really broke ranks uh, in order to marry a human woman. Uh, and, and this kind of, even if Sarek was only the second one and it was 100 years later, it still makes it less special to me. Okay. Yeah, but in my head canon, to Paul's half Romulan, so you know, <laughs> so Sarek it, it still it still keeps Sarek as the first Vulcan, you know, the full Vulcan, right? So um, can I ask you a quick question, and then we'll move on because this is a whole subject. But when you guys watched this, what did you feel about the scene with to Paul? Like, where did you care for it? Not care for it? You're talking about Hot. you're talking about the part where she undresses herself and they yeah. kiss and it goes. Yeah. It bothers me. It, it does bother me because it's so quick, and she's she is throwing herself on him, you know. And so as I watch it now with hindsight, I kind of use it as justification of this is the first time we start to see her emotions because of her trellium addiction that we're going to see later on. Right. That's the only way that I can retcon it in my head, but it is out of character for a Vulcan. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Okay. I love Leonard Nimoy. Okay. I love Leonard Nimoy. He is, he is what Vulcan is and he made everything. Okay. And I've said this before. So you got to let me finish if you haven't heard it. I believe that Tuvok is a better Vulcan than Leonard Nimoy is, right? I don't like Tuvok more than I like him, but it's just the way that Tuvok portrays a Vulcan is a better Vulcan to me. Because Tuvok is a Vulcan and right. Spock and is Leonard half- Nimoy is at half Vulcan, half human, right? So just there is a clarification there. But we don't see them act in this way, you know? And so it does bother me with how quickly she throws herself on him in this episode. I mean, we've had this tension building up all season, right? You know, and... It's because to so maybe half, it isn't sudden. To Paul's half Romulan, okay. I'm telling you, that's, oh, that's that's just nonsense. Don't be silly. That's an easy right. That's an easy fix on this man. She, she her dad is like totally off on those emotions. Actually, her mom yeah. was very was had emotions like that. We actually see in season four, she was not completely out of touch with her emotions, like with the things that she did. Regarding the, I can't remember what the name of it. We'll get to it later, I guess, in season four. Like the only kind of comparison that we can make is Tuvok and Kess, right? With the uh, with their mental abilities, but there's no sexual tension in that type of oh, scene, no, no, no. right? I I was disappointed that it got to this, or, or not disappointed, but I was just, I don't know. I I never thought it would ever get to that point where she's undressing and they're kissing, and it's implied that they, you know, they do something, but. I, I kind of wish that they hadn't, you know, because like I like back at this kind of dates me a little bit, but I, I like moonlighting the show, you know, way back in the day, you know, with, uh, I can't, like Bruce Willis before he was Bruce Willis, you know, and, and I can't think of the civil shepherd, civil shepherd. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. And they totally jumped the shark, you know, when they did the to Paul and trip thing there, you know? But it was a better show before that. And I never really ever thought they would ever get to the point. Ever, never, ever, ever that they would get to the point. And I was, I, I didn't even ship Bellana and, and Tom Paris. Oh, that's a garbage relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Sorry, Voyager fans. <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate talking about it because I'm always interested. A lot of times I feel like Enterprise is written for a, you know, a young male viewership and scenes like this where she, un, you know, unrobes and throws herself at trip. I feel like the writers thought they were doing something there, but a lot of the men that I talked to actually didn't care for that. Um, so I'm always interested to to hear what people say. So I appreciate yeah. that. I, I retcon it to the trellium, but honestly, though, in a nutshell, if you want to look at it, they've had the conversation. They've all but admitted that they're attracted to each other. And with humans, we tend to pussyfoot around when stuff like that happens. So clearly, that is the logical thing to do. Yes. <laughs> right? It's just disrobe and get it on. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just the logical thing. And then thing she thanks him at the end for helping her with her study or <laughs> yeah, scientific studies, yeah. right? Yeah. I love her eyes when she's like drinking that coffee or whatever. She's like looking around. Yeah. Like her eyes are great in that scene. Anyway, we should move on because we, we're, yeah, to Doctor's Orders. Okay. Here. So Doctor's Orders, um, we find out that Phlox doesn't do really that well alone. So, um, Chrissy, what what do you think about Flox's reaction to being alone here? Uh, this was beautifully done, but I have to say I'm with uh, the uh, uh, his imagined to Paul on this. If I could have four days to myself, I'd be like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got so much reading I need to do exactly. right now. Like, <laughs> right. But uh, uh, you're also, it, it, he plays it incredibly well because you're so sympathetic and 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 you're watching this and saying, you know, how would I deal with this? And then at the end, where it's like we're going to have to be in here for another ten weeks, and and you no, nope. you know what? Four days, yeah, that's time to get some reading done. Ten weeks, eh, I'd be feeling a little a uh, little weird too. But I mean, he's yeah. got the movie night, and he can sit in the <laughs> right spot, right? And he can walk around the ship naked too. Oh my goodness gracious! See? It's not just a I Paul's tweeted bomb. John Billingsley. I tweeted John Billingsley last night while I was watching this episode. I'm like, I gotta admit, if I'm alone on the ship, I'm walking around naked too. <laughs> okay, hey, okay. All right. So that was like my next question, just getting that. And Brandon's already answered it, which, you know, I thought that would probably be his answer. So Well, I said that in our Flox episode too. That's what I'm saying. Like, I already I already totally. knew you were gonna go with that. But so Heather, if you had the chance and you knew that there was no one else there, would you? I don't probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it was like from the shower, like in my quarters, I don't know. I just probably not. I can tell you I wouldn't. So Chrissy, what would you, would, would you? No, I run cold. So I always have to have layers on. Okay. Okay. But you have complete That's, control. It's just the Canadian. It's the Canadian in me, I <laughs> yes. guess. I, I wouldn't just because I just wouldn't. I might, I might, I might run around and like, you know my underwear you know or, yeah. or but even then i wouldn't you know out here the most that i would push it you know living in the star trek world that we you know we would imagine i would maybe not be wearing my uniform you know i might be going like shorts and t-shirt you know and then of course they'd have to be blue because the blue stuff <laughs> we're on enterprise right but i just wouldn't be wearing my jumpsuit you know or, or i'm or going back to a previous episode of warp five i might be wearing one of tapal's uh velour jumpsuits you know because those look really comfortable right <laughs> right but yeah um actually on in star trek magazine issue 115 john billingsley actually said that uh that scene or that that thought was actually inspired by comments that he made to the writers oh so um, he actually just threw it out there 
that he was talking to the writers at a party and he was speculating that Dr. Flox, because he had three wives, would probably have three members. And he said, <laughs> oh, dear. And he said this, doesn't this just sound like John Billingsley, right? Yeah. Yes. And he says uh, something to the fact that wouldn't it be interesting if there was a scene and people saw him and they were fainting or that they were just shocked or something, they saw him. So they just said, all right, we'll write you a nude scene. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad they didn't go that way. Oh, I'm so yeah. sh- I'm glad. I'm so glad, it, right? It was too close to the Austin Powers as it was. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that is a great call. That is a great call. That was very Austin Powers. Because he, he walks over to the plant, or then he mm-hmm. walks over and he picks up the, the, the can, and then... He puts the thing in the clipboard. Yep. And- Austin Flocks. Yes. Austin yes. Flocks. There we go. Very good. So I actually like Jolene Blaylock's performance in this episode, like when she was acting like she couldn't do things, you know, and after you, after you see the twist and you figure it all out, you go back and watch it again. You know, you're watching for, did anyone do anything? Mm. You know, because he was, it was all in his, his mind, but I actually liked the way Jolene Blaylock played this. So Chrissy, what did you think about how, uh, to Paul, uh, or how Jolene was actually playing to Paul for this episode? Uh, that was done very well. Cause I'm sitting there wondering, you know, she knows how to function with these things. And also there's that thing in the back of your head where, you know, why did the doctor go through uh, all of this, that little training, because they have that little montage of his training, right. uh, if she was going to be awake too? You know, yeah, he's back up, but if she's there, she knows how to operate these systems, so he shouldn't be needed to do that. Um, sorry, aside from that, but yeah, uh, uh, Jolene Blaylock did a wonderful job with this because you do get those points especially toward the end when they're messing with the warp engines and she's standing there looking like well i don't know and you realize it's because he doesn't know and every time he would ask her a question she didn't know the answer which you're used Mm -hmm. to to paul always having all the answers Mm -hmm. you know i mean to me to paul could fly that whole ship by herself you know she would be the most capable of anyone on the ship even more than archer to be able to get this thing done if she's going to be awake so uh Heather, what did you think about the the ending there, the the twist that we ended up having? I liked it. Honestly, I was kind of fooled the whole time. So I was like, wait, what? You know, again, I don't, <laughs> I haven't watched these for so long. So it was kind of like I'm watching them for the first time again. And uh, it, it took me by surprise. But I, I love that, although we've really kind of seen this episode before, right? Well, there's the Voyager episode yeah. one is is like identical to this yeah. episode, right? and and then even um, what's the one when where Beverly's on the ship by herself and TNG? Remember me, remember me, right? So we we've seen a, you know such similarity before, um, but I thought that this episode did a really great job of being very suspenseful and a little on the horror side. Um, oh, the music is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, altogether, it's just, it makes this episode unique in its own right and still a very good episode. And and with T'Pol's performance, I mean, she really helped with that suspense because you're like, well, what, what's going on here? And so you're kind of like, something's not right. And, and that all kind of pieces together. And then at the end, you get that little reveal. And I feel like, you know, with these four episodes, we've gotten a lot of that. Um, so it just, it was complimentary. And I, I really liked it. it. It really made this episode something special. Very good. Well, I tell you, I knew something up was up because I'm like, wait a minute. T'Pol's here? Why is he walking around the ship naked when T'Pol's here? <laughs> 
Okay, because he did that before the T'Pol reveal. Well, I thought That's I thought she said that up. she woke up and he was surprised that she was awake. And I was under the impression that he really thought that she would still be asleep, and then he was surprised when she wasn't. Yeah, yeah, maybe. If we go watch That's that what again. I got. I mean, I thought that. Yeah, he was like, oh. So that would have been even funnier if he had been walking around naked and then turned a corner and there's T'Pol, <laughs> you know, and. And his three members. Yeah. <laughs> that, is some neural pressure. <laughs> that is not canon. That is not canon. Actually, thinking, 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 the, the episode, I don't know if it was before or after this, because I've, I'm lost in my timeline here. Is this before or after the episode where him and T'Pol get stuck in the decon chamber and he's very... Oh, that's way before. That's in season two. That when that happens, when she's like going into a Ponfar situation. Yeah, that's Bounty. Okay. Bounty? Yeah, that's when, that's that's the B plot to Bounty when the Tellarite is uh, uh, God Archer. Right? Because the Klingons, that's the the B plot is T'Pol going through her early and, Ponfar and, nonsense. And Flocks is like super timid and super yeah. conservative about it. So it's almost out of character for him to walk around the ship naked. You know, if given that he was so like, don't look at me, don't touch me. Let me put a, let me put the curtain up in the decon chamber. You know, I don't know if we're talking something non-canon that we got to take out of there. That's that whole fake pawn far scene and bounty that's coming out of the canon. Right. Okay. There. We can do that. <laughs> that's just awful. <laughs> we can do that. Scratch, scratch that off the board. There we go. There we go. I'm okay with naked flocks. I'm not okay with bounty. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. So yeah, I thought this episode was pretty funny with the way just they set up jokes. So it was funny, but when it wasn't serious or like downright scary, like it was like the makeup for uh, Hoshi on that one, that was like zombie Hoshi. It was so scary. Creepy. Yeah, that was, again, that's like where it's like verging on the horror part and just, I love it. But that, the, the comedy, I, this is the one episode where Flock says, I'm a physician, not an engineer. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that was the only time that he may have said that, but he got, he got to say it. He got to do the McCoy line. Yep. So, um, Chrissy, what did you think about this this block of episodes? They were all good, and uh, this conversation has caused me to find connections between them that I didn't realize before. <laughs> uh, uh, of all of them, though, I have to say Doctor's Orders was my favorite. So, Okay, very good. And Heather, there, see, Heather- I picked a favorite. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, Heather, what did you think about this block? Yeah, this was awesome. I was, you know, I'm so thrilled because obviously we've got Discovery on TV and my life is kind of consumed by Discovery right now. So I was like, all right, let's let's go back to some Enterprise. And I was so excited to get four episodes of Enterprise that I really enjoyed, um, you know, despite the whole to Paul's naked back thing, which I'm not a prude guys. I just, again, so I really, I was really happy and uh, excited to talk about them tonight. And I Thanks guys. I just, it's been great. Very good. And Brandon, what did you, what did you think about this block? I think it's a good block. And I honestly think that I'm enjoying it more with us talking about it than I was last night, you know, or in the night before watching them. Cause I was kind of watching them. And I'm like, Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then, but yeah, talking about them now, like there is a lot of good stuff in these ones. Um, but we keep mentioning discovery and I got to say, you know, the last time we recorded warp five was before discovery aired. And now that we're recording this, we've had four episodes of discovery. And I really think that the type of storytelling that discovery is doing 
is very similar to the season three of Enterprise format, where we are getting a self-contained episode, but there are these threads that are going throughout the season. And, you know, for us that know Warp 5 or no Enterprise, right, I'm seeing a lot of that going on right now with Discovery. And, you know, Discovery isn't quite the storytelling that I thought it was going to be, you know, where it it's it's more contained than how things like Game of Thrones and and uh you know Walking Dead tell a story where they basically it's a, it's a season that's caught up and this does have self-contained episodes mm-hmm. so that's really my big comparison because this is also the first enterprise that I've watched since I've started watching Discovery as well right? right so but I think it was I think it's good I think it's good stuff yeah and I enjoyed this block um I actually I really I really like these episodes like right down the line um, it, mm-hmm. the doctor's orders is like a kind of an offbeat of the other three, you know, like it's still the Zindi thing we got going on, but it kind of gives us a, a little lighter beat when it's not scary and doing something else to us. And we still get the twist, which I appreciate. I always appreciate a nice little plot twist at the, you know, around there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoyed this. So Chrissy, if our listeners wanted to uh, get in touch with you, talk about, uh, some enterprise, where could they find you on the social media? Uh, well, I'm in the Babel conference a lot, and we already talked about that earlier. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at the goddess Livia, T H E G O D D E S S L I V I A. And, um, not Star Trek related, but, uh, so, well, sometimes I talk about Star Trek on it. I run a Facebook page called History with the Zalagis, and that's S Z I L A G Y I, uh, with my husband, who's also an historian, and, uh, we talk about a lot of the intersection of pop- popular culture and history there. Very good. And Heather, if uh, our uh, listeners wanted to talk to you about uh, some Enterprise or some season three here, how could they find you? I'm all over the place. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter, um, LLA Posper on Twitter. And then I do at Shoreleave and at Disco underscore Trek podcast via the tricordertransmissions.com. Those are probably the best avenues to find me. Very good. So thank you so much, Chrissy and Heather, for coming on here and talking some season three for us. And I hope I hope that you can come back sometime. That'd be that'd be great. I'm I'm just grateful that you guys came on. You know, it gave me a reason to, you know, have a shower and put on and stuff. <laughs> some company over. It's great. You know, normally it's just me and Floyd. I'm just sitting here in my underwear, but oh, great. Thank you. Oh, you thanks, didn't know that, Floyd? Thanks. All right. Just keep Shades that camera. Keep, keep that camera where it is, okay, man. Just At least it's underwear. It's not flock. True, <laughs> true, true. All right. Well, thank you so much, Heather and Chrissy, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh we're welcome back on the NXO one anytime. Thank you. Yep, right, I'll be you. back. So season three is not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Warp five. <laughs> Who are the who is that musician band like that with the the Greeblies? The what? <laughs> was it? Who are those wow. weird looking neighbors that the Flintstones had? Like those monster neighbors? The, weren't oh, they the Greeblies? Wow. I forget that. That's a deep cut right there. <laughs> I was about to say, dude, that's like four years old deep right there. Yeah. To the journey. I kind of figured he would just be able to like make another mobile emitter for the doctor <laughs> wouldn't he he'd use his nanoprobes for that yeah right put some nanoprobes on the job they'll make the doctor a new mobile yeah, emitter exactly. absolutely lickety split can i have my mobile emitter oh yeah he never asked though did he <laughs> no he did if he'd asked him he'd just be like oh yeah here you go primitive culture a look at history and culture through star trek 
there is very much in Star Trek a kind of essentially moral worldview that is pertaining culturally in that world in the same way as, you know, say in the Arthurian court, you have this kind of moral world. You sound like you're agreeing with Dr. McCoy that this is medievalism. <laughs> Nothing wrong with well, medievalism. Oh, well, as you were talking. Good medievalism, you know. <laughs> Literary treks. Yeah, you know, I, I think I made what little hints I gave in previous books about who had done it and why. I, I, I left sort of vague, but there were a couple of details that I had to hit because I'd seeded them in earlier novels. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and written review. And if you're not an Apple user, we've still got you covered. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file or grab the RSS link from our website. And like we mentioned earlier, we'd love to hear your thoughts about today's show, so just you can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Babel, B-A-B-E-L, in the search field. Join the group. Uh, give us some comments about what you saw in our episode or what you thought about our episode today. What did you think about this part of the Season 3 for Enterprise? Uh, what, what did you think about uh, seeing flocks having to take over the ship or actually run the ship. Um, were you tricked by, uh, Archer's total bluff that he got on Degra? Uh, let us know what you thought about that. Also, you can leave us a voice transmission at speakpipe.com slash Trek FM. And we can actually hear your voice, not just read your words, but we can actually hear your voice. And if you want to, See us on Twitter. You can see us at at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And if you'd like to leave us an email, there's another way you can contact us. Just go to trek.fm slash contact, choose warp five and send that e email right to us. So I always like to thank our co-associate producers, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Oser, and Mark Flessa. And we can't forget our other associate producer, our newest one, Joe Saltzman. They support Warp 5 as associate producers through patreon.com slash trekfm, just like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Uh, just go to that website and you can look at all the perks that there are available and you can also get in all the fun, maybe even on the round table, like we were talking about earlier. If you want to try out podcasting, get on on there. Also like to thank Tony Robinson for creating the very cool show art and Brandon Shea. You always take care of the editing and publishing for Warp five. So thank you so much. This wouldn't exist if you weren't taking care of it. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, so Brandon, thank you so much for, uh, bringing our great guests. Uh, it was great having Chrissy and Heather on, um, I've seen them and I've talked to the, to Chrissy and I've, we have actually had Heather on before, but then to actually bring them on warp five. I mean, that's, I know that was a, that was, that was something I looked forward to so much when I first found Trek FM was actually to be on the mic. So thank you so much for setting mm -hmm. that up, Brandon. 
Yeah, I'm glad we had them on. I mean, we miss Patrick. Patrick's been with us for this whole season three retrospective so far, uh, but he just ended up having to teach tonight and we couldn't, uh, there was just ended up being a scheduling conflict. But uh, in case, if you guys have enjoyed hearing Patrick, don't forget to check out his new show that's on the network right now called The Briar Patch that, as of our recording here, uh, just actually launched this past Sunday. And I've actually had a chance to listen to all three of them. And uh, it, it's good stuff. It's a little over my head, but I mean, like Metatrex is a bit over my head and and, you know, but I still listen to them, but, uh, it sounds good. And I know some of the stuff they're talking about because I am interested in economics and it's a, it's an economics related podcast. So it's just, it's tough to listen to those. Like while I'm at work, I'm doing stuff. So it's hard to focus on some of the deeper podcasts while I'm working, you know, you know, yeah, I know I'm, what you're I'm about. telling you I'm stupid. Okay. I'm, I'm an idiot. Okay. That's <laughs> what I'm telling you here. You but. have to focus to listen to those, you know, yeah, you do have and to And when I told Mike Morrison and even Patrick, man, we need they need to give us a reading list ahead of time so we can study up a little bit, <laughs> you know, for for the the next topic. So Brandon, if our listeners want to get in touch with you about your habits that you have when you're alone completely on the ship, uh where how can they get in touch with you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. You can find me every once in a while poking my head up in the Babel Conference. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about Star Trek, you can take a listen to The Edge, which is Trek FM's Star Trek Discovery podcast. And you can also find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network talking about Alfred Hitchcock with my friends Chris and Tom on a show called Good Evening, the Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And Floyd, where can people find you when you are not drinking blue stuff and stealing secrets back to your people. Hey, you can find me in the Babel conference. Usually um, I will uh, try not to uh, throw back a shot of something blue while I'm there, you know, but if I do, then I'll probably make me a more lively conversation. But yeah, I, that's probably the best place is the Babel conference. Uh, you can also find me in other Star Trek Facebook groups, but I like to see what's going on in the Babel conference. Usually first, that's my, usually my first drop in spot. So, Boomers, thank you so much for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5.